Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nathan Sager. How you doing, Nate? Not too bad. Uh, you like you like the jersey? People can't see it, but trust me, I'm wearing this awesome uh, throwbacks Quebec Nordiques jersey. And who might be on the back? Corsi 25. Ah, analytics. And, of course, hockey analytics. And today we have a hockey book, um, which was written by Ryan Minkoff. And Ryan Minkoff gives us a glimpse into parts of the hockey universe that don't get much shine. After playing high school hockey and junior hockey in his home state of Minnesota, he graduated to play in the ACHA, or American Collegiate Hockey Association, for the Washington Huskies. The ACHA differs from the NCAA in that the hockey program is not funded by the school, so they don't dole out scholarships, um, but rather uh, it's funded by student services and player fees, so the players are paying. Some of you may, heard, uh, may have heard J uh, Sammy Jo Small explain her experiences playing at this level uh, on Season 4, Episode 4, and if you haven't, you can go back and check that out. Um, it's basically a bootstrapping experience, or should we call it skate-strapping, <laughs> um, that Minkoff was happy to be a part of from 2011 to 2015, and upon retirement or graduation, whatever you want to call it, according to his bio, he was fourth all-time on the ACHA points list. Uh, but that wasn't the end of his hockey journey, uh, as it is for so many at that level once graduation comes. He got a chance to play pro in Finland with Lapuan Virka, and he jumped at it. His name popped up on the radar for some when he wrote two pieces for the Players' Tribune on the aforementioned experiences. Today, he is a player agent at 83LC, and he recently put out a book called Thin Ice, a hockey journey from unknown to elite, and a gift of a lifetime that Nate has more to espouse on. Thank you, Neil. Uh, uh, Thin Ice is the sort of, I guess, origin story for a hockey hustler. Uh, since, as you mentioned, you know, these days Ryan Minkoff is working out of Seattle as, as an agent, trying to help, I guess, young players find a good fit in that labyrinth of minor pro, age group pro, uh, European leagues, uh, the the league that plays on a hill over somewhere. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm joking about the league on the hill, as far as I know. Uh, now, you know the saying, a person who never took a chance never has a chance. And that's sort of what I took out of this memoir of a hockey player who, you know, was born into the hockey hotbed of Minnesota, the state of hockey. But he found out, you know, door number one, door number two, and even door number three in his native habitat he couldn't, couldn't be pried open. So he just jimmied open a window by playing club hockey for the Washington Huskies in Seattle. And then, you know, somehow someone saw the stats he was putting up uh, putting up for the UW, as it's known, and he ends up going to uh, Lapua, Finland. And Lapua, it's not Helsinki, because uh, uh, according to Wikipedia, at least, it's a city of about 15,000 people, a nearly five-hour drive north of the Finnish capital. So it's like... You know, maybe you're hearing, oh, you're going to play in Toronto. No, no, you're going to go play up in Elliott Lake. I'm, I'm sure it's a lovely place, but it's not Toronto, right? Uh, it is kind of nice to, you know, for us to have a book from someone who's Generation Z, uh, still in their 20s, that sort of gets one to thinking about how those green lights in the McConaughey sense uh, seldom appear where you hope to find them. Uh, it sort of brings up what it was like to be, you know, puts you in the shoes of what it was like at that age to, you know, maybe take a flyer on something that involved moving fairly far away, maybe to a small town for, you know, valuable life experience, valuable work experience, and probably precious little money, and maybe get a little closer to figuring out what you want to do. So, like I say, uh, 
you know, this, this is cool for us because, uh, we, you know, we, we're trying to sort of hit different pockets of uh, American hockey interests on the on the pod. And, you know, it's nice to have a guest from Minnesota because it's, you know, where they've got that, you know, well-threaded sort of cradle to college, diapers to D1, you know, development hockey structure. The children, they grow up playing on youth teams that feed up to specific high school programs. I can recall like Steve Russian uh, talking how his younger brother, when he was playing, you know, youth hockey, his team's colors matched the high school that he would he would be going to, you know, uh, and it feeds up to you know, wanting to play high school and go to state. Uh, Minnesota claims to have the largest state high school championship tournament in the excited states of any sport bigger than basketball in Indiana or football in Florida. And then there's 11 men's and women's uh, teams in Division One of the NCAA. And Minnesota also has more NHL players than any other state. What Interestingly, what they don't have is a team in America's uh, top under-20 league, the United States Hockey League. There's like a, a fire... There's like a firewall around Minnesota that would make uh, Jason Kenny weep. Uh, it has teams and centers like you know near the state lines. There's like a team in Fargo, North Dakota, you know Sioux Falls, Iowa, Sioux City. Sorry, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Sioux City, Iowa, I, uh, but not in it. I saw you. Uh, you you had uh, showed me a map, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the for the listeners to see that map when you uh, do your notes. It, on, it honestly blew my mind. I was like. what? How do they not have a team in Minnesota? It's like <laughs> I just uh, want to say uh, I'm just I can't get my uh, keep my eyes off your your jersey here. Are we gonna one day get uh, Corsi? Do you think Corsi will write a book and we can have him on the podcast? Yeah, I hope so. All right, that's uh, the WHA version. This too. yeah, it's the w, yeah WHA Nordiques jersey five hundred three sports. Uh, thanks for my brother Sean for doing the legwork to buy this for, for Christmas. Uh, so the first section of the book really pairs well with a recent episode with Rich Cohen and his book Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent because Ryan describes youth hockey in Minnesota as pretty cutthroat and he self-describes I was a walking suitcase in youth hockey, you know, going from team to team from year to year, you know, the way Rich said his son Micah has done throughout his childhood. And then that second section is Neil teed up and explained it, explained what club hockey is to, to us uh you think Washington Huskies, you think, oh, wow, you know, that's that's the team that we remember watching their football team win national championships. We say, hey, that's where Warren Moon played football. Uh, you know, that's where Brandon Roy played before he was NBA Rookie of the Year. Tim Lincecum, you know, pitched for their baseball team before he won the Cy Young and their women's basketball teams in the Final Four. But hockey's not part of that behemoth athletic department. Uh, you know, just to put the into uh, perspective with the numbers, <laughs> Uh, the last fiscal year that was unaffected by COVID-19, Washington Huskies Athletics had $135 million U.S. in revenue, $84 million from football alone, and still ran at a deficit. You know, Ryan writes of, you know, becoming the president of the UW Huskies Hockey Club in 2013, and they had $0 in their checking account. Now, that was $0 in 2013 dollars, so maybe maybe inflation <laughs> and interest. I don't know. I'm, I'm a sports writer, so obviously I don't know anything about money. Uh, but he, you know, he sort of had to hustle, figure out these ways. How do we, how do we now let people know there's a hockey team, with, you know, wearing the wearing Washington uh, purple and gold? You know, make how do we rent ice? How do we have enough money to go on the road? Right? Definitely an education not found in textbooks. And then he obviously gets an opportunity to go over and uh, experience life in uh, in Finland. Uh, you know, beautiful part of the world there. Uh, up up there in uh, northern Europe, and he, and we're grateful he can join us today to talk about his book and uh, being a hockey agent. Thank you, Nate. Uh, yes, uh, hustle, the key word. Um, okay, after the quick interlude, we will talk to Ryan Minkoff. 
And welcome back to Sports Lit. Uh, Nate and I are uh, joined today by Ryan Minkoff, um, who we talked about just a moment ago. Um, how did you design this pitch to publishers, considering it's a niche, very, very, very niche story? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, it certainly wasn't easy. It, it, it took me about two and a half years to get a publisher on board. Hmm. So I got my fair share of rejections, that's for sure. Um, but I, I think how I pitched it was that my my story is it, it's more common than not. Uh, players not getting all the way to the NHL, but I mean, I, I had I had aspirations. I was a good player. I kind of fell through the cracks. There's tons of guys that do that. Um, so I, I felt like my story uh, could be pe- people could get something out of it because my my path as a player was pretty unconventional and I still made it to a high level but I, I didn't go the the normal route that's for sure uh, so I think my story when I pitched it was really pitching the perseverance aspect and what kids could take out of the story, what parents could take out of the story. Um, and yeah, it, it, it took time, but eventually I got, I got one person on board. So. And that would be Lions Press, of course, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. and what's, what sort of, uh, is it fair to say, Ryan, that the sort of universal message is, is sort of about how to be aware of opportunities when they come up in, in places you didn't expect to find them? Yeah, that's definitely one theme. Um, I think the big thing for me, uh, well, there's two things. One is you got to go where you're wanted and where people see value in you. Um, if you're in an environment that is not going to benefit you in that way, it, it's really tough, uh, mentally and just playing wise. Uh, and the other thing is, you have to have the belief in yourself uh, and you can't let detractors get to you. Um, I, I always had the belief and I, I worked really hard, so I, I backed it up, but I, I always had the belief in my head that I, I, I was as good as the players I was playing with on some of these teams that were getting to the high levels. Like I, I knew it. Um, I just wasn't getting the exposure and I knew eventually in time if I just kept chugging along and didn't let people put me down um, and just really just kept playing, I, I knew I could get to a high level. I just, I, I had no idea how though. Um, so that kind of goes back to your point where, yeah, you, you have no idea where the opportunity is going to be. Um, so it kind of just comes back to principles and, and how you're, how you're living and how you're shaping your life. Hopefully, everything always works out. So yeah, and we we had sort of had, Neil and I when we made our notes for the show, we had kind of thought, well, we'll kind of work through things in 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 reverse. But I just quickly want to touch on when you were young, you know, youth hockey, Minnesota mm-hmm. high high school hockey. Was it only later so you realized how many times you'd sort of you know sort of you know felt like might have felt like you were beating your head against the wall a little like when like you're talking about seven years old and a coach saying ryan you're never going to play for me and it's like like how do you know i'm seven <laughs> yeah yeah uh 
you know, and I, I think when I was playing that age, uh, I definitely didn't really see it until high school or it didn't really hit me. Um, how much I was bouncing around from different team to different team and just how, how much I was struggling, uh, men- mentally just dealing with different coaches that were yelling and screaming at me all the time. And, um, yeah, I think I think the culmination really just came in high school, uh, and I think that also came with my own maturity. I was realizing where I was at, what was going on, um, and I I knew I I needed to kind of take my career into my own hands, and that's why I left my high school team my senior year because yeah. um, I I knew I needed the exposure, and I, I knew flat out no matter what what the coaches were telling me I wasn't going to get it there yeah. Um, so yeah it, it definitely took me some time to really realize uh, how much I was battling through in youth um, but yeah I got there in the end so yeah and I think you remember you said you actually started sort of writing this when you were I think what was it taking the bus to your summer job when you were a student yeah so I started writing this book uh uh, I had an internship in between my junior and senior year of college, and really, I was just doing a lot of reminiscing about my hockey career. I I knew I had a unique path in youth, and I knew that could be beneficial for for kids out there going through tough times. And uh, obviously, I played club hockey in college, and there's really no information out there on the club life experience and just how everything works. And like, I, I was, I was running everything. I was the president of the team. Um, so I, I knew I could offer a pretty unique perspective on that experience. And yeah, going into my senior year, I, I, I mean, I, I thought my career was probably going to come to an end. I, I really didn't know, uh, how to go pro or even if I had that possibility. Um, so I just was reminiscing a lot and that's kind of what started getting me to think and write down stories that I, that I knew I had from my youth and high school and college. Um, and yeah, I kept writing during my senior year and obviously when I got the Finland deal, I knew that my story was going to take off even more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just unique going club to pro doesn't happen very often so it's just an added piece um and then i was diaring every week while in finland and got it up to over 200 pages and i was like all right well i think i got something here mm. so that's that's really when uh when it all started for me is trying to do something with the story so and how, and how were all the, your, you know, the, your club and pro experiences? How did that prepare you for what you're doing now as a as a player advisor? Yeah, uh, <laughs> prepared me a lot, I would say. Um, club, uh, it, it was a really interesting experience for me because coming from Minnesota, it's obviously hockey's huge and. I came out to University of Washington, really no no clue what I was getting myself into. Um, 
I know my freshman year, I was somewhat frustrated by the players' attitude because I, I would spend all my days in Minnesota. All I'd be thinking about was playing these games, and my teammates, they'd be thinking about the game like only five minutes before. They'd be more worried about what bar we're going to after the game. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a wake up call for me, um, where I am. And, uh, in the end, I think that attitude that my teammates had actually helped me, uh, just relax and go and play and not feel so much pressure that I had always put on myself growing up. So it was, it was sort of a blessing in disguise. I didn't, I didn't recognize uh, how the more carefree attitude and just being way looser was, was a really big benefit for me. Um, so I definitely preached that a little bit to some of my players, uh, depending on what they're going through. But yeah, Finland was uh, really the, the game changer for me in terms of with with my agency and kind of knowing how to deal with teams and players and uh so i i uh i got my deal in finland kind of a funny story i was on spring break in mexico with a teammate and his friend and i got a facebook friend request from a finnish guy no clue who it was <laughs> so i ignored it i i deleted the request and then i woke up the next morning and I get another Facebook friend request from the same guy. Like, okay, that's a little odd. Uh, so I accepted it, and he uh, sent me a little nice message. He was the team manager of a team in Finland, and uh, they were potentially interested in, in having me over there for the next season. So that's kind of how it started for me. Uh, I didn't have an agent. As I said before, like, no clue. I, I, I didn't know how to get over there. I, I knew players, obviously, growing up and playing with them in Minnesota that have played in Europe and done really well. Um, but I didn't I didn't know how to negotiate a contract. I I was pretty clueless. But I asked a lot of questions. I ended up getting myself a really good deal in retrospect. Uh, and when I got out there, I lived with a Latvian roommate and. I learned right away about his contract because I had two uh, free meals a day at the sponsored restaurant in town in my deal, and he didn't have that. So, <laughs> like the first week, I'm going to lunch with him, and I'm getting free buffet, and he's having to pay. It's just like this is it's crazy. Uh, and his salary was worse. He just didn't have nearly as many perks. Um, I was involved in the community volunteering and with the youth teams and he, he didn't have any of that so uh first month in i helped him renegotiate part of his deal so he could get the free meals and he got more involved with me um in the community uh and then just as the season went along we we had our fair share of issues with getting paid late and housing issues and our playing time was slowly diminishing as the season went along, but we were battling, battling through that as much as we could. Um, and 
I, I had thought about trying to get an agent while I was in Finland, and I, I talked to a few because I knew, like, this, this is kind of difficult to deal with team managers on my own. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get paid, it feels like, here and there. Um, but I couldn't find an agent that would be willing to help me. I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money. wasn't a lot in it for them, that's for sure. Um, so I, I, I was learning about the market. I was learning about the leagues and players, and I, I realized there was a, definitely a niche for me um, to kind of jump in and help. And yeah, it all started for me. I helped my Latvian roommate after my season I wasn't going to keep playing and he was going to he was going to keep going so I just offered to help him get a decent deal and that I could come visit him and we could have a great time so that's that's how it all started and um, obviously it's grown from there so, so from there please uh, kind of explain uh, how you you know you you started 83 LLC, LLC and uh, how you became a, a certified agent yeah so really just I learned by doing um, I I knew from my experience that season kind of how to work with teams because I was doing it directly and it was sort of awkward at times and um, I knew kind of what what I could say and what I probably couldn't um, in terms of negotiations just from that um, but yeah, I helped my my roommate, and he went to England, and he had an older brother, and I helped him. He was in Poland and then Norway, and helped some other Finnish players just from kind of connections I had made over there. And yeah, I came back to Seattle, and I just started getting referrals from either their friends or. Um, once I started helping some of their friends, it was I started getting inquiries from North American guys that wanted to go over to Europe and other Europeans that wanted to come over here. Um, so it wasn't uh, anything by design. I, I can't say I had this grand plan of I'm going to start this agency and I'm going to get it really big. Like I, I didn't know how to do it. Um, and and but I knew go ahead sorry yeah yeah but I I knew the help was needed and I knew there's a lot of players out there that they're underappreciated and most of the agents they're all about money they're they're not in the business per se for the the good um, and I knew I was like I I knew my story. I knew I could relate to players going through tough times. I knew I could relate to the players that weren't given the time of day. Um, and there's tons of guys like that that make it to really high levels. They just need need the extra push. So um, have you identified like a rung of the game, of the professional game that you've kind of isolated and, and those are the players you want to take care of, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Um, def- definitely the guys that get a bit overlooked that I think are – are really good if they're given an opportunity. Um, those those are the guys I I generally help and help really well. The um, and, 
Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, I just I, I wanted to know, um, you know, how important for is it for you? You know, you went over and were the only American in this small rural Finnish town. So when mm-hmm. you do have a, you know, a client, how is how important is it to try and maybe get them both on? Let's say they're two Latvians to get them and they're playing in a in a rural U.S. market or Canadian market. Mm-hmm. How important is it for you to get maybe two of them on a team so there's someone to talk to in an isolated yeah. space? Yeah, that. That definitely helps. Um, I would say just having having me and having my experience when I was over in Finland kind of on my own, not being able to speak very much to my teammates, uh, that, that was definitely tough. That was, that was probably the toughest part about the whole experience. It was just I, I felt like I really couldn't communicate. Um, so it's, it's definitely important when when you're signing a player to a team to make sure that the player can really have a good experience not just on the ice but off the ice um so yeah if i can send two latvians together perfect um if not like it it's it's it it really depends on the kid and and their personality if it's a if it's a quieter player um you definitely have to take that into account um, because they might get to a team and you kind of know they're going to be a little closed off. They're going to be a little little scared. It's going to take them some time. They might not be playing very well the first month or so, and you kind of have to hope that they can work through it. Um, and they're going to be talking a lot to me because I'm yeah, I'm going to be for sure building them up and um, helping them transition. But there's other guys that you just kind of know that they can do this on their own. They they their their mature maturity level is is there that. Um, and and how much they do you... can they can go into anything and do well. So it's it just varies on the kid. Yeah, and you know how how much uh, uh, how hard is it as a banker would say to sort of build your book as an agent and maybe for our listeners maybe throw in an example of I think a Harold's Eagle is a name that pops to mind I think is someone you've tweeted about yeah. a Latvian player who played at Clarkson University in upstate New York not far from Neil and I's hometown of Kingston Ontario and now he plays <laughs> I think for the Manitoba Moose the uh, Winnipeg Jets yeah. AHL team like how do how how does he illustrate the type of player you're you're you know looking out for these days? Yeah. Um, so one, it's very difficult. Uh, the agency business is ruthless, um, to say the least. It it is so competitive. I, and when I got into it, I mean, I, I didn't know I didn't know what I was getting into, but I've I've learned firsthand how insane it can be. <laughs> um, but yeah, Harold, he he's a great kid. Um he's he's always very positive. Um but he was a guy obviously he's pretty highly touted coming out of Latvia and he was on all the uh world junior teams and he was a really high draft pick in the KHL when he was younger. Um but he's a guy that he just comes over to the U.S. and let's see what he can do. And he started really well. I mean, he just started in like a very basic 
junior league. Uh, it was like the Eastern Junior League. I mean, that's that's nothing nothing special, but you got to get an opportunity to play and and some exposure, and that's really all all you need. Um, if you get one shot um, to play some good minutes, you you can keep keep moving up. So that's that's what he did, and he got to Clarkson and. His first couple seasons, I he I knew he had a lot of potential. Um, he wasn't really getting a, a huge opportunity, but I knew his junior year he was going to get it um, just because they were losing some seniors and he was kind of next in line. So junior year is when he really, really took off um, in terms of getting on the radar of of NHL teams, and I helped him get into the Winnipeg Jets development camp that summer. Um, and then his senior year was was pretty fun to follow along. Had mm-hmm. lots of teams, right? Um, talking just, to him. So um, just because we have a, a you know a limited amount of time and a lot to go through, I just want to um, yeah. I want to jump forward and ask you about. Um, you know, you're you're like as, as Nate said, we're going backwards here. Um, so without having to fire off all our questions in rapid fire at the end, <laughs> we'll just kind of go, you know, uh, at a more brisk pace here. And what I'd ask you is, um, yeah. in terms of uh, your your time in rural Finland, uh, I, I one of the interesting points of the book was how you talked about the structure. Uh, there was finally structure after playing club hockey. So I'd just like you to reiterate that mm-hmm. if you could about when you finally went to play uh, pro in Finland, how you, um, you know, how you enjoyed the structure finally. Yeah. So I just, I had missed taking a bus to games and showing up two and a half hours early and just kind of sit in the stands and tape your sticks, soak in the atmosphere. Um, you're going out for warmups and you're actually getting a Zamboni after and, uh yeah i i missed that um in in club it's not it's not like you don't have that opportunity it's just you need a lot of money in in from your club sports department to try to do any of that mm-hmm. and we didn't we didn't get that so club was kind of you're flying at the seat of your pants you're like i'm i'm helping run the concession stands right and setting them up and i'm i'm setting up shuttle buses for fans to show up to games and obviously we're carpooling to games in college right um and showing up an hour ahead like just a totally different uh way of doing things so i i appreciate it a lot uh just being able to show up to the rink and do my thing do your thing yeah yeah that was a that was a blessing to be a pro yeah that that's what it's all about isn't it it's 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 strange when you finally hit that point right where you're you're just allowed Mm -hmm. to do what you do i mean now granted as you said you you were driving the zamboni and and things like that but it was still yeah that 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 was interesting um now um early in your in your in your youth uh you met uh, vladislav treciak um at the um mm-hmm. international hockey schools camp in detroit lakes uh, minnesota and and yeah. in that part uh 
you, you talk about uh, or write about your last name being switched at I think it was Ellis Island or something from Minkov to Minkov. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know yeah. you talk you write about travel when you're in Finland. So did you have any I know and that turned out to be kind of a disastrous for your paycheck a little bit, right? Because they <laughs> but how did that yeah. work? Did you ever want to go explore your Russian roots because you were so close? Yes. yes. Uh I looked into it. Um I was gonna take a boat to St. Petersburg. Um, but it was just a huge hassle. Like I had to, I had to go get a visa appointment, um, a few hours away in Finland. And I had to, I eventually was going to have to go back to have another meeting just so I could try to go over there for a weekend. Um, and it was like, this, this is crazy. I should just try to plan a, plan a trip to Russia later in my life. Um, but yes, I definitely definitely was very interested in trying to get over there i I just uh i didn't make it happen yeah after i mean read the book and you'll to to our listeners you'll see what happens when you decide to take a a furlough while you're playing (laughs) finnish hockey it doesn't look good on your for your bank account um uh uh, so the other question uh, another question i should say i have is what's the profile of a club hockey player i mean considering it costs to play and mm-hmm. you're probably precluded from having a part-time job because of playing, I'm imagining. Yeah. Um, yeah. So who who essentially can play club hockey? Well, it's guys that want to go to college and get a good college experience. I mean, you, you, I, like I, I was able to go to most of the football games in my school. I had basketball season tickets. Um, so you can get a pretty well-rounded experience. Whereas if you're going to play Division One or Division Three, Division One, you're pretty locked in. You're you're not going to be able to do much of anything outside of play. Division Three, you're at a small school. Depending on where it is, it's middle of nowhere. There's nothing going on. Uh, so it, you're kind of still focused a lot on hockey because there's there's really nothing else. Um, so club club is for the is for the guy or the or the girl that they want a, a full college experience to be able to do plenty of different things and also play hockey and i mean the level gets better every year uh i mean this year i know i know liberty beat long island and liberty is a club team long island's ncaa division one how much uh, sorry go ahead so uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, and and like ASU, they they were club before they went Division One. Penn State was the same thing. So the, there's some pretty good programs out there. Um, they're just they're not at the Division One level yet. But how, there's there's some good ones. How how much would it cost a player to play? I mean, how um, if I want to go yeah. to you know Washington and play play hockey because uh, I want to play hockey in the ACHA? I mean, what's it going to cost me above my tuition to play? Yeah, so it depends on the on the school but i know for me it was around two thousand dollars and uh some programs it was cheaper because they got more club funding or they did more fundraising um but i, I would say around a couple of grand okay give or take a little bit so probably not much different from from youth hockey now we kind of wanted to yeah. just sort of give a reading ryan that that uh that sort of shows that you know the, the caliber of player you were and kind of but the the environment you were in this is so this was from 2013 you're a 20 year old junior with the uw huskies 
And you, but mm-hmm. you get an opportunity to uh, go to the training camp of the Everett Silvertips in the Western Hockey League. You know the, the creme de la creme of you know major junior hockey, twenty and un, twenty and under. But at the yeah. same time, your team's got a fundraiser where guys are working the concessions, as you mentioned, concessions uh, at a PGA PGA uh, tournament, uh, PGA Tour event near near Seattle. So fire away. Yeah. Okay. So. On Championship Sunday, the last day of the Boeing Classic, I had one last early morning game. My training camp team had won all three of our games that week and was playing in the championship game. I had made sure the concession stands would be manned that morning so I could play. I sat at Xfinity Arena, putting on my gear when I received a call from the Boeing Classic staff, giving me the worst possible news. We didn't have enough players to run the concessions. The other hockey players scheduled to work that morning hadn't shown up. If we couldn't run a concession stand at the event, then our team would lose the projected two grand we'd receive for working the, the entire week. As president, I shoulder the responsibility for fulfilling our team's commitment. Knowing we needed just two people, I went to work calling and texting several players. At 8.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I knew they were probably lying in their beds hungover, not in any shape to step up and help out. No one responded. I was screwed. So 10 minutes before going on the ice for my game, I walked out of the locker room and found Mitch Love. Hey, Mitch, you got a minute? I asked. Yeah, bud, what's up? I can't play in this game today, I said. I have to go work the Boeing Classic because my teammates didn't show up to the shifts they were signed up for, and I'm responsible for the team. I'm really sorry, but I want to say thank you for the opportunity. It's been really awesome, and hopefully we can come out with a win today. No worries, Mink, he said. We'll figure out the lines. We thought you looked good out here this week. Thanks for coming. That conversation meant a lot moving forward. As my teammates headed out for warm-up, I quickly undressed and bolted to the car. From that day forward, anytime anyone ever questioned my dedication to the UW hockey team, I could point to that sacrifice I made. The biggest disappointment up to that point in my life, it seemed. Even though I would not go on to play for the Silvertips, playing in that game meant everything to me. Hockey players worked tirelessly from the time they can first hold a hockey stick just to reach such a point in their careers, to be invited to a top echelon camp like this. I had achieved that goal, but couldn't finish it out. That my squad ended up winning lessened some of the pain. At least I hadn't let them down. But I would have relished the thrill of playing in and winning the camp's championship, not to mention getting my picture in the paper the next day with the rest of my teammates. When I arrived at the Boeing Classic that Sunday morning, we were still short one person but the Boeing Classic let us get away with having only three guys in each stand. A couple of hours later, another player showed up four hours late, filling the shift I was scheduled to take after my hockey game. <laughs> I could barely contain my fury. In the end, we covered enough of the shifts to get the promised 2000 for our participation. <laughs> nice. That's that's how you hustle. And I sort of wonder, yep. and I sort of wondered too that something that you know uh, I would sometimes think about is uh, as someone as a Canadian who's a big uh, college sports fan, I think there's only nine uh, schools that you know are playing one of the Power Five conferences for football, and mm-hmm. also have a hockey team. And I think the only ones that are outside the Midwest are probably like Arizona State, whom you mentioned earlier, and I think Boston College. I just sometimes wonder, like I mean, you say the ACHA caliber is getting better is there is there some way to make people more aware of all this uh you know increasingly better hockey of being played by you know 18 to 22 year olds in the states and maybe that could help the overall profile of 
hockey you yeah. know, outside of that's, the traditional American hotspots? Yeah, that's that's a tough question. Um, because really it just comes down to funding. Um, I wish it was sort of more complex than that because some of these other programs, they do a really good job marketing themselves and trying to get their name out there. They just, they can't get it internally. Um, so it, it, it's a hard, hard question to answer. Mm. Um, but really it all starts with uh, just hockey in that team's area uh, and the youth. And obviously if you have an NHL team nearby, that's a huge help. So the Kraken coming in here is going to be a really big boost for the UW program, getting more exposure and just helping with the youth out here. There's not a lot of hockey in the youth system at all. Um, there's only a few rinks, so it's just, it, it's going to be a huge help in terms of that aspect for UW specifically. I know Las Vegas and UNLV, they've, they've, really picked it up the last few years just with Vegas coming in and some of the SEC schools, their their club programs have really taken off just with the, the NHL teams in the South. Um, so it, that, that seems to be the big uh, factor is just you need, you need other areas to get the college programs more on the map and more on the actual schools athletic department's map um that's that's the biggest hurdle okay and uh, i noticed you sort of mentioned i think somewhere on page 35 of the book you say your one place where there's not a lack of youth players is is your home state uh, minnesota but you say there's sort of a hockey superiority complex there obviously yeah. we know we know what a hockey superiority complex looks like for us you know we're in canada what what, yeah. what what how how is it, how is that attitude kind of like baked into the way you know uh, you know youth hockey and high school hockey are set up in Minnesota? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's it's an interesting question. It's, I mean, I I can just remember growing up, I was kind of just told like this is the best state to play in, the state of hockey. You you can't play anywhere else that's going to be better, and the numbers all back it up. Minnesota always has the most NHL players. They always have them a ton in college. They have a ton in pro all over the place. So it's the the numbers have always backed that up, uh, and it's just in, it's just ingrained in every player's head uh, at a young age. So yeah, I mean when I when I would go play teams in tournaments in the summer from other states, especially if it was West Coast, like our, the confidence level that me and my teammates had going into those games was like, these guys are we're gonna we're gonna smoke these players, um, and we we always kind of had that even when we we're playing teams on the East Coast and uh, depending on where they were from in Canada, we we sort of had that too. Um, so it's I think it was just a built-in confidence um, from people in the Minnesota hockey world at a, at a young age that just kind of and and that would that would be us. that would be bred by just a you know just like Nate talked about I mean I don't know if it's a complex here I think they're just you know when there's a great culture behind hockey 
you feel you feel like you're you're gonna win you feel dominant and you know obviously yep. canada has that minnesota has that um um i wanted to uh ask you uh, we're, we got to close out here so uh, a couple quick last ones um Junior hockey exists, uh, you know, in an aside from high school hockey in Minnesota. In in Canada, we see junior hockey, or junior hockey, it's a completely different path. It uh, Mm -hmm. leads to basically going to get drafted. Uh, So I just wanted you to briefly explain uh, how junior hockey exists in concert with high school hockey as a path to college in Minnesota. Yeah, so Minnesota, it's, it's a huge topic. Because everyone growing up in Minnesota, you're you see the Minnesota State High School tournament, and that's the that's like the dream. I mean, I, I dreamed of, of playing in that. Um, you got eighteen thousand fans at the XL Energy Center. It's an amazing atmosphere. Uh, but not every kid is going to want to take that path. Um, and you can go play in the NHL, NAHL or the USHL um, while you're in high school, or you can go right after high school. So it's a huge debate um, that parents and, and coaches all over Minnesota have. Uh, what's the better path, just playing high school? Or you can go to the USHL or NAHL when you're 17 or 18, and maybe that'll be better exposure because you're playing older players and maybe you'll develop a little quicker. Like it's it's a huge debate, um, and there's there's no right or wrong answer to it uh, what, of what path you go. But yeah, junior hockey in the U.S. and just in Minnesota in general, it's everyone goes there to try to get to the NCA uh, for the most part. It's very very rare that they don't go for that reason. Right, um, but the the exposure is definitely there in in the top junior leagues. There's there's tons of junior leagues though in comparison, right to Canada. There's a lot more options. Okay. So the exposure is you have to be in definitely be in the the top three or four junior leagues to really get on the radar. How how important is it for people like there's these always debates like you know major you know Canadian junior leagues versus this this versus this level how important is it just to as we wrap as we close out for people to just be pro player and understand that not every you know teenager is going to mature emotionally and physically at the same rate on the you know they're not and they're not going to mm-hmm. do it on the, someone else's schedule I guess <laughs> yeah uh, I mean that's that's important just for the player's outlook uh as a as a player you want to be in a spot where you won you know you're going to get an opportunity you don't want to be the guy that's third fourth line especially at the junior level you don't want to be that you you have very little opportunity to be seen and and be given an outlook like oh this guy this guy's got some potential they're not looking at the third and fourth line player that's just flat out. So you want to be somewhere where you're going to get an opportunity. And yeah, if that's, if that's at a lower level, you can go backwards to go forwards. Um, and I know that's, that's a tough call to make, um, for many parents because they see it as, Oh, my kid's taking a step back or even just for the kid. But 
you need you need to be able to develop your own game. You need to be able to build your own confidence. And if you can do that in a good opportunity, then you're going to be looked at at the next level as a guy that okay, we can bring this guy in and he can he can be a first second line player. Um. So that's that's what I try to help players with that. If if they're late bloomers or they're they're slower in developing, you you got to look long term. Um, if if you're looking short term and you're just trying to get to where you want to get to as fast as you can, it might stifle your development a little bit. Um, so that's that's what I try to help players. You, you just have some perspective. It you might not be where you want to be right now. But if you believe and you keep you keep working, you do everything you can, and and we can get you into a good opportunity to to show what you can do, then you can get there. It just might take you a little longer than you maybe have hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be my message. Thanks, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> um, uh, I appreciate uh, your time today, and uh, uh, good luck with the uh, the book going forward. You got it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right.